Shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. And Lord, we consider it such a great privilege to live for you and serve you in this world. We pray that it will be our motive. It will be our motto. It will be our mantra every day of our lives to live for Jesus, to walk with him and serve him, Father. We pray that you'll quiet our hearts now and speak to us by the Holy Spirit to each and every person in a special way. And we pray that you'll direct the words that are spoken today, Lord, that they will not be my words but your words and that you will hide me behind the cross and you will be glorified, Lord Jesus, in everything that is said. We thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You were born into this world, Lord, and we're so thankful we can celebrate this Christmas season. And we pray that you'll direct us now as we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, down through the centuries, God's people have never been in the majority. Well, I can't ever say that because there's two occasions in the Bible, in the recorded history, where God's people were in the majority. And you'll be surprised to know this, maybe. The first instance where God's people were ever in the majority were Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And there were two of them. Two out of two, that was the majority, right? And then the other time that God's people were ever in the majority were, is in the case where Noah and his family members, there were eight of them all together, came out of the ark after everything, right? They were in the majority, eight out of eight. But amazingly, those were the only two times in the history of the whole world where God's true people, the true followers of the Lord that follow him with all their hearts, were ever in the majority. It's always been a minority. In the Old Testament and throughout Scripture, it's mentioned in the word remnant. You know, if you have a carpet and they're installing the carpet and they have a little bit left over, there'll be a little small section. You can use it for different things. It's called a remnant. Sometimes people think of remnant, it's not very important, it's a loose piece, it's a loose end. But with God's people being a remnant, the minority, the, there's great things that can be done by a small number of people. You notice whenever there's a great cause for God, many people might get excited about it. It may start off with a lot of people, but it's the small number of truly saved, godly, righteous people that make up that remnant that have the power and effect on the world today. It only took 12 disciples to turn the world upside down along with all of God's people. When Jesus called them, there were 12 of them. He sent them out to serve him. And then at one time also he sent out 70. But you can see where all through history it's always been God's people in the minority. They always talk about the silent majority, right? Well, for us as Christians, we're in the minority, but we need to be the unsilent minority. We need to speak up. We need to stand up because in this day of evil and darkness, it's just permeating the whole world is in the lap of the evil one. And we need to be those who, as a remnant of God's people, as the minority, stand up for Jesus Christ in our world today. A man named Lang said this, he said, The development of the Jewish people during 15 centuries resulted in a division into a believing minority and an unbelieving majority, which persecuted the former. The prophets spoke of this remnant. 
The division being completed, there became a crisis in the destruction of Jerusalem, from which believers were delivered, wherein the unbelieving befell, they fell in that crisis. The same results will follow the development in the New Testament church. We too are dividing and advancing toward a crisis. If you go out in Christianity today, and I mean out into Christianity, out into churches, out everywhere, how many people that attend church are really, genuinely born again? Probably, again, not very many. And really, when you compare it, it's a small number. But we thank God for those who are here this morning that know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And as it says behind me, Jesus is Lord. And when you're truly a child of God, you can say that. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. He's in control of my life. And that's what we want from all of us to do. But as we go out into the world today, we see Christians. We see born-again believers. We see the Lord Je name of the Lord Jesus Christ is oftentimes misunderstood, maligned, and met with hostility, rejection, and even outright anger. It seems that we as Christians who stand for the Lord and love the Savior are ridiculed for being narrow-minded, for being overly strict, legalistic, or whatever term they may be using for us. They consider us outsiders, that we somehow don't belong in the mainstream of society because our beliefs are extreme in, in God and through the cross. And as we know from the message of Scripture, the message of the cross is to them who perish foolishness. And we see it today. Many Christians who stand for the Lord, it affects their business, it affects their livelihood sometimes. And we're put down many times. You know what the devil has done? He's turned the tables in the world. He's turned it completely upside down so that now evil is spoken of as good, right? And good is spoken of as evil. Right is spoken of as wrong, and wrong is spoken of as right. It's totally upside down. And everything is okay, Everything is just fine to do. You can do whatever you want, but don't mention Christ. Don't mention Jesus. Don't mention sin. Don't mention salvation. Don't mention anything like this. Don't mention the Bible. Don't mention what it says. Everything else goes. You can do any other religion you want, but as soon as you start talking about Christ and about Christianity, oh no, this is too much. This is, this is not politically correct. You can't do it. You can't even say it. I praise God, at least our president said recently, he said, this year, this Christmas, we're going to say Merry Christmas. Isn't it sad that we have to have an announcement that we're going to say Merry Christmas when it should always be Merry Christmas? Not happy holidays, not season's greetings, but Merry Christmas. And that's why when people greet me or are at work or whatever it is on the phone, I always say Merry Christmas and we always should. The title of our message today is The Remnant, The Few But The Mighty. It doesn't take very many people to be mighty. It doesn't take very many to start a revival. It doesn't take very many to do the work of God and to see Him blessed today. But it takes the few being willing, 
being dedicated, being committed, and as we sang in that song this morning, being surrendered to him. God can use one surrendered Christian, born again, genuinely saved person, to do more than a hundred who are just going to church, coming in, sitting in the seat or in the pew, and then going home unmoved, unaffected, and living their life just like nothing ever happened. There is that found in so many places today. And God wants us to be that unsilent majority to live for him and be used of him. We're going to look at three things this morning that begin with the letter C. Number one, there are choices to be made. Number two, there are challenges to face. And number three, there are consequences to this kind of life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the choices. You know, when you decide to follow Jesus, no turning back, you're not going to have a lot of people patting you on the back say, great, you got saved. I'm so happy. Because they're going to say, you're not the same anymore. You don't go out to parties with us anymore. You don't drink anymore. You don't smoke anymore. You don't, you don't, do, you don't cuss anymore. What's wrong with you? What happened to you? And that's when we can share with them, Jesus is what happened to me. He changed my life. I didn't go to a, a program and, and sign up for a special 12-step program or however many steps it would take to change your uh, experiences. No, Christ saves us from the inside and he changes our lives and then he gives us the choices to make every day to follow him and live for him. We mentioned it this morning and it's so true. You have to make a decision to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your husband can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. You can't do it for your kids. Can't do it for your grandkids. You love them like anything, right? You can't make that decision for them either. Friends can't make it for friends. Every person has to make their own individual decision. Their own, they have a choice. God has given each person a free will to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's why he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That whoever believes, you have to believe. And then over in John chapter 1 and verse 12, the message of salvation is mentioned, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And believing is not just in our head believing. It's a belief that responds in a, in a faith that is dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth, he didn't mince words, did he? He spoke the word very, very directly to people, very clearly. He didn't go around the bush. He didn't beat around the bush at all. He spoke it very clearly. And in John, and Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 he was there with his disciples and the others were there as well. And he said these words, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, if you sign up to go into the military or you sign up for something in life, there's usually, they tell you what you're going to be responsible for, what you're going to be given to do your assignment, and all of these things. Jesus said, okay, you want to sign up to serve me? You want to sign up to be a follower of me? You desire to do it? Great. Here is what you are responsible to do. Number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross daily and follow me. 
So he says, these are the things. If you desire to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And if you go out into, the, into Christian circles today and you were to mention this verse and what is required, and you'd say, how many are going to be here and going to do this? You might not get very many because it is a minority. It really is, even among God's people. But the choice couldn't be any clearer. And we've seen it in the history of the church where men and women have decided to follow the Lord and they've abandoned this world and they've gone on for the Lord and they have found him to be faithful and have found him to be gracious to them. It's a choice. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9, we see the mention of the word remnant there. It says, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. In other words, they would have been destroyed. You know, God isn't interested in the big numbers. He doesn't care about numbers. He cares about people. He doesn't care about show and pretense and looking good. He wants people that are decidedly committed to him. And when he called the Israelites out of Egypt and they went out into the wilderness and then they were going to go into the promised land, Moses sent out 12 spies to spy out the land. 12 of them, right? And when they came back, only two gave a good report, and, that, and we know them as Caleb and Joshua. Two out of 12. Out of 12 spies, only two, that's 16.6% of the spies that came back gave a good report. The others said, oh yeah, it's a great land. Oh yeah, this is fantastic, but there's giants there. And there's fortified cities there, and there's no way we can conquer that. We better just be satisfied to stay over here on the east side of the Jordan and not go and fight those giants. They're deadly giants. But Caleb and Joshua stood up and they said, no, we can do it because God is with us. They were the few. They were in the minority, and they did it. You know, sometimes in the Supreme Court, when they have a decision that comes out, they have... They have two decisions that come out. They have the overall decision and what the result was of the case. Then they have a minority report that comes out from those judges that didn't agree with the majority, but gave their response. And so that's the way it is. The majority is not always right. And if you look out into society today and you go along with the majority, you go along with the flow, it's not going to be right. But when you go along with the minority, as long as it's with God, then you're really a majority. Because one person with God is a majority, even though we are seen as a minority in this world. You know, Elijah the prophet, he felt like he was in a very great minority in his day because he felt he was the last prophet. He felt there was no other prophets left. I'm the only one left. I'm the only righteous person left. All the people are worshiping Baal. They've, they've done terrible things and and he says in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14, And I said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. That's what the majority did. But he says, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. But you know, the Lord didn't say, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. We have no chance because they've all left. No, he says in the, in the text, 
Later on, God's response to him is perfect. He says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He says, look, Elijah, you're not alone. There are some out there that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. They've bowed their knees to me. So you're not alone. You're not in it alone. The worst times in life is when you feel like you're all alone and nobody's with you, nobody's supporting you, you're all by yourself, but when you have the Lord, you'll never be all alone. And when you have other believers who love the Lord and are truly committed to Christ, they're supporting you too. And when you have that kind of a support system, it is wonderful. But we are in a minority today, and people do not agree with us. They do not side with us. And the same thing could be true in the days of King Hezekiah when the Assyrians came and, and to attack the city and they surrounded the city and they were telling them, surrender to us, you have no choice. All the other peoples have been destroyed. Their gods didn't help them. Well, that was the mistake they made because they put God in the same category, the great God of the universe, as with the little g gods, the idols. Of course, those idols couldn't stand up against them. But now... They're picking on the living God. They're coming out to fight against the living God, and these Assyrians are going to see they have no chance, even though they are so many. And we know they had 185,000 soldiers under the control of the king of Assyria. And when God spoke the word to Isaiah the prophet, it says in Isaiah 37.4, it may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of, the, of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant who is left. And that's what King Hezekiah said. And when Isaiah responded, he says, the Lord is going to do it. You're not going to do it. Your army's not going to fight them. God's going to do it. And God went out that night, and you know what he did? God slew 180 5,000 Assyrian soldiers. God did it. Hezekiah, his army, they didn't have to lift a finger. God did it. And that's why when we are few, we are mighty when we have the Lord. In the New Testament, I think of the Apostle Paul, and he thought that there was not in, in Corinth anyone to support him either. And it says in Acts chapter 9 and verses 9 and 10, Acts 18, 9, and 10. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Be a, a vocal person, Paul. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For notice what the Lord says. For I have many people in this city. Paul was not even aware of that they were with him and on his side. And we can sometimes get discouraged when we look around in the world today and see things just going terribly, but we can know that there are born-again Christians, not only here in our church, but in other churches like ours throughout this nation that still preach the gospel, and they may be few and far between, but they still preach the gospel, and they're truly saved, and they're wanting the Lord's will for their lives, and we can thank God for that because it's always a minority. It's always a remnant, and that remnant should be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Another instance of this too, it reminds us of Moses when he was a young man 
and he had been raised by Pharaoh's daughter. We know the story about how his mother brought him there and his sister, and they put him in a little ark, is what it was, a little basket there in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter came and took him and, and raised him. And then when Moses became of age, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Yes, we thank God that we'll never be in the majority. And then it goes on to say in the rest of that verse that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked for the reward. There's always a reward for the Christian that are truly saved, walking with the Lord. There's always going to be a reward. It may not seem like it in this life, but even if we don't get the reward now, we will have it in heaven. And the Lord will say, as we read, said in that song this morning, well done, my child. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So that's the first thing. And we have to make these choices. And we make the choice to follow Christ when we get saved. But every day we have to make choices that are going to decide how we're going to live our life. Are we going to be sold out for the Lord? Are we going to be all for him? Like we heard today, I surrender all. Or are we going to just go along with the flow? Are we going to go along with the majority? Are we going to go along with the majority of Christianity that just comes and goes and everything is about entertainment and doing things like this? We thank God that from this pulpit, no, nothing has ever been preached but the Word of God, right? Am I, am I right on that one, right? Have we ever deviated? I, I, no, never. And we never will. We never will because God's word is the truth. We're not going to preach any other book or any other teaching or philosophy. No. Secondly, when you decide to follow the Lord and you want to be among that group of people, that remnant, that believing, godly group, you're going to face challenges. And when you decide to follow Jesus, the devil is going to put a target on your back and he's going to come after you and he knows your weaknesses, and he's going to come after you and hound you every day and persecute you every day in many different ways. And that's why we're going to face challenges in this world, because we're living this side of heaven. We're not living yet in heaven. We're living on this earth, and this is the devil's territory, and we're living on his ground. He has the home field advantage, but we don't care, because the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. But the devil doesn't like us, and he puts you on his list. And so, son, when you get saved, he puts your name on the list. I'm going to be after him now because I lost him. He's not going to go to hell now. He's, he's, part, he's, a, he's a believer, and the devil knows that. He knows who gets saved. And so he puts us on his list. He puts us in his book. He makes notes about how he can get Dean, how I can get him, how I can get him discouraged, how I can disturb him, how I can trouble him, how I can make his life tough and rough and miserable, and how I can do all of these kinds of things. But we know from the book of Job that the devil can only go so far. He's limited by what he can do to us. He can scare us, he can, he can interfere with things, he can do, but he can't harm us because God has saved us and the devil cannot take our lives, he cannot hurt us. And that's what we learn from the book of Job. And we know that the world is never going to like Christians. 
Not only is the devil against us, but the world is against us too. Jesus said it very clearly in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he goes to the cross, before he's giving them the last messages to them. He says these words. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So as Christians, should we expect the, the world to love us? No. Should we expect the world to like us? No. Should we expect the world to agree with us? No. Some people may respect us for our Christian stand, but they won't agree with it. They won't follow it themselves. They don't. The world hates us. They hate Christians. They hate Christianity. They hate Christ. It comes out every day in the news more and more all the time. You see Christians. We get persecuted. It's not persecution in the form of physical persecution, but there's persecution happening to Christians in the United States today because a person believes in Christ, because they say the name of Christ. They get persecuted. They get ridiculed, laughed at, mocked. It's so true. It happens all the time. We also have to be on guard against the devil because he comes against us, and that's why it says we should put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil or the wiles of the devil or the tricks of the devil. And you know, when that happened to Job, uh, the devil probably thought, you know, God has given me a credit card with Job, right? I can do whatever I want to Job. A high credit limit, I can hurt him, I can affect his health, put all these boils on him and everything like that. But no, the Lord says, I'm not giving you a credit card with a high limit on it, Mr. Devil. No, you're going to get a debit card with a specific small thing that you can do. And that's what he does. He's limited to what he can do against us, and we're thankful for that. Someone once said, God put the church in the world, but the devil seeks to put the world in the church. Boy, isn't that powerful? That is really powerful. God put the church in the world, but the devil seeks to put the world in the church. And sadly, he's winning. He's gaining in that respect. The world is coming into the church. It's affecting the thinking of churches about leaders of the church. It's affecting so many different people. Worldliness is coming in. Worldly methods are coming in. Uh, it's sad to see that happening in the world today. Another person once said, one of the devil's snares is to occupy us with the past and the future, so to take away our peace in the present. And that's true, isn't it? He gets you to worry about the things you did in the past, you blew it, he points the finger there, or gets us to worry about what's going to happen in the future and gets us distracted, instead of having that peace of God which surpasses all understanding in the present is what God wants us to have. No, we're going to face challenges in this world. We're going to also face challenges from our own human flesh, too. Even the great apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Romans, he said in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but to perform what is good, I do not find. And there is that spiritual conflict between the old nature and the new nature. The flesh is always ready to, to rear up its ugly head and cause us many problems. And then we also think about the challenges we feel when we go through these trials, right? One day, all of a sudden, you're doing so well, you feel healthy, every bill is paid, you, your, your job is going well, 
the kids are doing well, the grandkids are doing well, the neighbors, everybody, you're getting along with everybody. It couldn't be any better. We have that expression, everything is hunky-dory. Be careful. Be careful, because that's when the biggest trials are coming, right? They oftentimes come after the calm seas, the storms come up. And that's what happens. That's why Peter says, don't think it's strange when these fiery trials come. He says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, which is to try you. They're coming. They've come and they are coming. As though some strange thing happened to you. Don't think of it that way. It is going to come. And we're thankful that the Lord is with us. And then the other thing we have to be careful of is temptation. Temptation is not sin. Succumbing to the temptation is where we get ourselves into trouble. And that's why when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before they went out to face his accusers and be arrested and go to the cross, he had them praying. And he said this, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So do we as Christians have challenges? Yes, we do. Do we have them every day? Yes, we do. Is the devil out to get us every day? Yes, he is. And we're going to face these things. But he tells us to be overcomers. He says, you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yes, we, we are overcomers. And that's why he wants us to make the right choices and then to, to, to go through the challenges that result in that. So the second point is the, is the consequences. I mean, the third point is the consequences. There's going to be consequences to every decision we make and to all the things we go through in life, there's going to be consequences. I already mentioned about the persecution, and Paul mentions that in 2 Timothy 3.12, where he says this. He says, yet those who desire to live godly in Christ, Jesus, will suffer persecution. doesn't say that we may suffer persecution. It says you will. Maybe not physical, but you're going to have persecution. It can't be any other way because, as we said, the world hates us. The devil's out to get us. So we're going to be persecuted if we stand for the Lord. Now, if you sit back and you say, I'm not going to push the limits. I'm not going to go outside the box here. I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to be politically correct. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to, no, if you do that, sure, the, the devil will leave you alone. The world won't hate you at all. You'll fit right in with them. But we can't do that. We can't fit in. We're the minority. We're the remnant. We have to be different. We have to stand. And there will be times where we have great victories. And there's going to be times where we're going to have those persecutions and those trials and difficulties. But we can be victorious and we can thank God for it. There was a Danish theologian by the name of Soren Kierkegaard who identified two different types of religion. Here are these two different types. Religion A and religion B. See which one you follow today. The first is faith in name only. It's the practice of attending church without genuine faith in the living Lord. That's religion A. And there's a lot of people that are following religion A nowadays. So sad. But religion B is different. It's the practice of of a life-transforming, destiny-changing following of the living Lord. That is what it's all about. It's a definite commitment to the crucified Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen and coming again. 
That is a totally different religion. There's religion A, and there's a lot of people in that, and there's religion B. Remember when the Lord talked about the two roads? One is the narrow road that leads to life, and he says, few are those who find it. And then he says, but the, the other road is the broad road that leads to destruction, and many are those who go in by that way. And it's always going to be that way. I wish it wasn't. I wish it was the opposite, don't you? That, that the majority were saved and the minority were not saved. Wouldn't we like that? Or we'd like to everybody be saved, but it's never going to be that way. It's always going to be a minority. It's always going to be the case. But we're thankful that the gospel still goes out today to every single person. And I thank God for you, Jeanette. Jeanette got genuinely saved, and her life has been changed completely, right? And now her husband, Dan, has gotten saved too, genuinely saved. This man is serious. He is saved. And when you see a person that genuinely accepts Christ, it's not a religious experience. It's not an enlightenment. It's a brand new heart, a brand new life. And when the Lord changes you, you have a different way of living, a different way of talking, a way of different conducting your business in this world. And we thank God for that. So to sum up today, let's remember that we are in the minority. It is a remnant. We are a small group of committed followers of Jesus Christ. And there are going to be consequences to our life. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If we sow Christ in this world and we sow a righteous, holy life, it will reap consequences for God. And if we do the opposite and we don't put our full hearts into it and commitment and we say, it's enough for me to go to church. It's enough for me just to attend once a week. It's enough for me just to go and then go home and then I go back to my life. If you want that kind of life, God will let you have it. But it says in Scripture, he'll send leanness to your soul and your spiritual life will be disintegrated. And so may God help us to be that silent minority, that remnant today that can affect people by our commitment and walk with the Lord. And let's not be ashamed to say Merry Christmas. Let's not be ashamed to say we're followers of Jesus Christ. Let's not be ashamed to say, well, we don't do that because I don't do that because I'm following the Lord and He wants me to live for Him. It's not going to be a popular stand. It never will. People will say, why? Why don't you do that? Why don't you? Because we are believers in Christ. And so may the Lord help us to have the right choices, overcome the challenges, and find the wonderful consequences to a godly life will never be out of style. It will always be a blessing. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that we are your people. Here in San Ramon, California, in this church, San Ramon Valley Bible Church, Lord, we're never going to be big. We never will. We never will because we preach the truth, Lord. We preach the gospel. We, we preach the full word of God. And many people have decided to leave because it's too, too much, too much commitment, too much dedication, too strict for them. They, they don't want it, so they leave. But Lord, we're thankful that we have a core group of righteous godly people, and we pray, Lord, that we will be like that mighty army of old in the book of Ezekiel where you brought those dead bones back to life, Lord, and you sent them out as a mighty army. 
Lord, help us to be a mighty army for you. We may be few, we may be small, but may we be powerful for you. We ask this now and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.